we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Global stock markets got beaten up overnight and the carnage continued here in the U.S. By the time they rang the closing bell, the Dow Jones was down 350 points. That's just under 2%. That was the biggest point loss of the year The Nasdaq was down 122 points on a percentage basis. I think that was closer to two and a half percent. The real interesting story, though, happened in the foreign exchange markets. And the news that sparked the sell off was the Grexit, the potential now, maybe 50 50, maybe more that Greece is going to exit, that the Greek citizens are not going to accept Uh, the terms of uh, the bailout or the terms necessary to qualify for the bailout. About a week ago, there was all sorts of optimism that a deal was done, uh, and that fell apart over the weekend. Uh, They announced the closure of Greek banks. I believe they will remain closed. Uh, There were photographs or images on the Internet of long lines at ATM machines across Greece. Hey, by the way, take a good look at those images because that's coming to an ATM machine near you one day, except it won't be as civil. I expect to see a lot more uh, unrest, maybe a lot more fighting uh, breaking out on those long lines, uh, not the civility that we saw over there in Greece. But all of that initially sent the dollar rising. The, The euro got down last night when I looked at it near the lows, the euro was down around 109. 
uh, to the dollar. So an initial sell off of about two cents because people were worried, oh, you know, Greece is going to leave the eurozone. This is, uh, you know, this is bad for the euro. Now, I've been saying all along that I think the best thing that can happen to the euro uh, is a Grexit, because I think Greece is dragging everybody else down. Not that, you know, there's no more dirty shirts in that hamper. But the whole idea is or the fear is that, well, if Greece goes, it's going to be some kind of domino effect and Portugal and Spain are going to go. I think it might have the opposite effect. I think it'll scare the rest of Europe straight. Uh, They're not going to want to live through what the Greeks are going to have to endure. And so they might get their economic house in order. But also you've got the old trading adage of buy the rumor, sell the fact. You know, people have been buying uh, dollars and selling euros for so long now based on worries about a Grexit uh, that when it finally happens, you know, it's you you, you take profits, you go the other way. And that's what happened. Uh, The euro ended up closing near the highs of the day, up around 112, almost almost up to uh, 113. Uh, on the euro, I don't know, maybe one twelve and a half ish, uh, rather, is where we settled. But the dollar was weak all day against the yen and all night, and against the Swiss franc. In fact, the Swiss franc would have been a lot stronger against both the euro and the dollar had the Bank of Switzerland not intervened heavily last night to prevent the Swiss franc from rising. But to me, the fact that there was no real safe haven flows into the dollar. That if anything, the initial safe haven money went to gold, uh, which was up about 12 bucks at one point last night, only finished up about five. Still kind of a disappointing rally, but at least gold was up. Uh, But the safe haven flows in currency land went to the yen and the Swiss franc and not the dollar. And again, at the end of the day, the dollar actually lost some considerable ground against the euro, not just from the overnight lows, but from the previous day's close. And the dollar was weaker against other currencies as well, although the Canadian dollar was seem, seems to be the only dollar that re, only currency that kind of uh, lost ground today versus the dollar. Maybe that uh, also crude oil down a dollar forty. Maybe that contributing to some of the concerns about the Canadian dollar. But to me, this is another confirmation of something I've been saying on this podcast for some time that the dollar's rally is over. The dollar peaked in March of this year and has been trending lower ever since, although it has had some rallies. But the fact that it couldn't find support on a day like this, where the bulls uh, should have had everything going for them, yet they still couldn't move the needle higher, uh, at least keep it higher uh, in the dollar euro, that is a good indication that things are turning. And by the way, I have a newsletter that I put out earlier today, which really does a good job, I think, comparing and contrasting uh, the U.S. versus the global markets in the current dollar bubble and during the dollar bubble that burst in the year 2000. I look over the four-year period, uh, 1996 through 2000, comparing uh, the returns on the international markets that I favored then and still favor now versus the U.S. market. U.S. market did very well compared to my markets in that time period. And then in the years from 2001 to 2008, the U.S. markets went sideways while the markets that I invested in and that I invest in today uh, skyrocketed. And we we had this huge run for seven years. Uh, We've just embarked on a period that I think is very similar uh, to the uh, earlier period, 96 to 2000. And now I think we're heading for a period that will be similar to only greater than 
uh, the returns that we got from 2001 through 2008. So if you haven't read that newsletter, make sure to look for it in your inbox. If you didn't get it, just make sure to get on, you know, sign up for my free newsletter at europac.com. Uh, but if I'm right and the dollar turned, this uh, this this has impl- big implications for global equity returns. Now, meanwhile, the Greeks supposedly are going to be voting on this mef- referendum over the weekend, which is really ridiculous because the referendum has to do with whether or not they want to accept the terms of the bailout, which really isn't something that should be up to a referendum because, you know, it's not up to debate. I mean, they're offered a bailout based on their willingness to accept these terms. If not, there's no bailout. I mean, they can't dictate whether or not they're willing to accept the terms unless they want to reject the bailout, right? Which is, I guess, really what the referendum is. I mean, maybe it's kind of like, you know, if your girlfriend dumps you and then you tell her that you want to have a referendum with yourself to decide whether you want to accept that, you know, or no, you want to stay in the relationship. Well, you know, if your girlfriend dumps you, you, you're dumped. I mean, that's the whole point of being dumped is that you don't have a choice, right? It, 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 it's not a democracy or, you know, you don't get to vote on whether or not you want to be dumped. You just have to accept the fact and get over it. And so that's kind of like this vote. Uh, you know, they either have to deal with the circumstances or they're going to have to go alone, uh, you know, b- with the drachma. And that isn't going to be easy. But in any event, I think regardless of, the direction that Greece goes, it looks to me like the dollar is going down against the euro, because if the dollar was going to sell off or rise against the euro, it would have already done it today. And this was actually a pretty good reversal day, right? We took out uh, the lows from the previous several days trading on the euro and then closed above the highs of the previous several days. So a nice outside reversal day. And uh, so I think there could be some more downside uh, to go. But, you know, what I think was more important for the U.S. markets than the bankruptcies, you know, (laughs) the insolvency issue in Greece was what's happening with our own Greece, right? In our own backyard, our own hemisphere, uh, Puerto Rico, because also over the weekend, the governor of Puerto Rico finally admitted the obvious, right? He said that repaying the debt in Greece is a mathematical impossibility, right? That it's not a question of whether we want to pay it. Mathematically, we just can't do it, right? And this is something I've been saying for a long time. And so what he is saying is that the creditors of Greece, which are mainly, well, now a lot of U.S. hedge funds, and then a lot of American citizens who own municipal bond funds, you know, some Americans own uh, Puerto Rican bonds outright, or many own them as part of muni bond funds. The reason being is that Puerto Rico uh, issues the only debt that is triple tax free in all 50 states. Uh, and it was relatively high yielding to boot. Uh, so pretty much every fund that operated in the high yield world, uh, you know, peppered uh, their portfolios uh, with a little Puerto Rican uh, debt just to enhance the yield. Of course, they also enhanced the risk. But nobody seems to care about risk when they are tracing returns. And and so I think this potentially has much more to do with maybe the the big sell-off in the U.S. stock market. And I think it has more uh, potential impact on our economy because, number one, the the spillover 
to the broader muni bond market could be more important and more impactful on the the U.S. economy. And I I think that just the idea that Puerto Rico uh, is broke and can't pay its debts may begin to, you know, get other people to ask similar questions, not only about other municipalities that are also in dire straits, but about the United States government itself. And here's the irony of all this, you know. I'm, I'm reading and listening to all the discussions about how much debt they have in Puerto Rico in comparison to other U.S. states, right? And Puerto Rico's debt is off the chart relative to any other U.S. state. But there is a huge difference there that nobody seems to grasp. Puerto Rico is not like a state in that respect. It's like a sovereign nation, right? And if you compare Puerto Rico's debt to Puerto Rico as if it were a country, (laughs) there are many, many countries out there that are in worse shape than Puerto Rico, including the United States, (laughs) right? Puerto Rico's debt per capita is about $16,000, which is a lot of money, right? And I agree, they're not going to pay that back. But the United States debt per capita, and this is just if you look at the federal debt, and not even you know the unfunded contingency liabilities, but just the eighteen point two trillion in treasuries, right? The per capita share there is fifty four thousand. Now, even if you account for the fact that the average American earns twice the average Puerto Rican, who by the way are still American, but forget about that for a second. Even if you adjust for the relative differences in incomes, we still have twice as much per capita debt on the mainland as they do in Puerto Rico. That is the relevant comparison. You know, when you add the local debt, right, so they're only comparing Puerto Rican debt to state debt. But if you take the state debt and the local debt and you add it to the federal debt, then I think the per capita debt in the United States is about 67000 per person. And remember, per capita is per person, right? That includes little babies, right? And that includes people that don't work. Because remember, there's almost 100 million Americans that don't work. Obviously, they can't kick in anything for their share of the national debt. So if you really want to figure out what it amounts to per taxpayer, you know, you're talking about huge, huge numbers, you know, not just in Puerto Rico, but much bigger numbers in the United States. But if it's mathematically impossible for the Puerto Ricans to repay their debt, well, why doesn't the same math law apply to every other American? You know, we're in worse shape. You know, the income tax in Puerto Rico, I forget, I think the top rate is about 35%, right? That's because Puerto Ricans don't have to pay any U.S. income taxes. So Puerto Rico can tax 100% of the incomes of its residents. U.S. states can't do that because they only get to tax what the government doesn't take or, you know, or vice versa. I mean, because if, if you live in the 50 states, you've got the federal government taxing you on top of the states. So there's a limit then to how much blood the state can get from your stone uh, because the federal government has already bled you first. But in Puerto Rico, it's only Puerto Rico that's doing the bleeding. Uh, So they have more of a capacity to repay their debt because they can tax their citizens, uh, you know, to the full extent that they, you know, they they can get the money. Whereas the uh, the state governments have to get in line behind the federal government. So that makes our debt much more problematic, right, for 
uh, our uh, states or localities because they don't have 100 percent of their uh, residents income to tax. You know, the Puerto Ricans are not responsible for their share of the 18 point trillion dollar national debt. They're just not. Only if they move to the mainland. Right. It's Americans living in the 50 states that are not only responsible for their state liabilities, but their pro rata share of the federal government's liabilities. So that's why, you know, just making these comparisons between Puerto Rico and other cities or something, it's apples to oranges. You're talking about different tax bases and you're talking about people who are not also subject to the greater liabilities of the U.S. federal government. So the reality is that it's mathematically impossible for America to repay its debts, too. Now, the only difference between the Puerto Rico and the U.S. is we have the printing press or, you know, the Federal Reserve. Although, theoretically, if the Federal Reserve wanted to start monetizing Puerto Rican debt, they could do it. I mean, the, you know, the Fed can do a productive easing program aimed at Puerto Rico. They can just start buying Puerto Rican government bonds and get the rate down to 1%, 2%, right? Then they can keep selling even more. Right. I mean, why doesn't the Fed do that? Why don't they just launch a separate, you know, QE program just for Puerto Rico? That way, Puerto Rico will be as credit worthy, if not more credit worthy than the federal government. Right. If they got the Federal Reserve behind their back, because the Fed is basically saying we'll use our printing press to bail out Uncle Sam, but we won't use our our, our printing press uh, to bail out, you know, his cousin you know, uh, uh, Uncle Uncle uh, Uncle Pedro or whatever, whatever you want to call the, the version over in, uh, in 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 Puerto Rico. But to the extent that they had access to our printing press directly, then nobody would be worried about Puerto Rican debt either. Right. Because nobody's worried about our debt, even though we can't repay it, even though we're even broker uh, than Puerto Rico. But we cannot legitimately repay. Right. That's the same math. The only way that we can pretend to repay is to have the Fed do it for us by creating inflation. But if Puerto Rico could rely on that, then nobody would care. Because if Puerto Rico's interest rates were as low as the federal government's interest rates, they wouldn't have any problems, right? But the reason is interest rates are higher in Puerto Rico, and they're rising, especially as their bond prices are plunging, because people are accepting that reality of the inability to repay. Well, if you can't repay and your central bank has to print money so that you can pretend to repay, the real impact is the same because Puerto Rican bondholders are going to have to take a haircut, meaning that if you loan the Puerto Rican government $100,000, you're not getting your $100,000 back. Maybe you'll get $50,000 back. Maybe you'll get $40,000 back. And maybe you won't get it back as soon as you thought. Maybe you signed up for a three-year loan and you're not going to get your money back for 10 years. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you had a 6% rate, but you're going to get it, you know, reduced to 3%. I have no idea how this restructuring is going to take place. But the creditors are going to have to make a sacrifice, which is exactly what the government of Puerto Rico is saying. Everybody has to sacrifice. People are going to have their benefits cut, and creditors are going to have their coupons cut or their maturities reduced. The same thing is going to happen to creditors of the United States government. Even if we don't have the integrity to do it the way Puerto Rico was forced to do it, even if we pay everybody, the net effect is going to be the same because the dollars that they receive in repayment of their debt, right, those dollars are not going to buy what they bought when the individual loaned them to us and bought the bonds. 
And the haircut in terms of real purchasing power could be even bigger than the haircut that the Greeks got. In fact, we might end up getting a crew cut uh, compared to this, the type of haircut they might get. Or in fact, we might end up with like a mohawk or something like that, where we're, our, our creditors are totally sheared because we might have runaway inflation. But the reality is that we're in worse shape than Puerto Rico. And all the talk about how we should be bailing out them, the only reason we can bail out Puerto Rico is because people don't realize that we're broker than Puerto Rico. And we can still borrow more money and print more money so that we can sweep you know, the Puerto Rican problem under our larger rug. right? But the pile under that rug is getting bigger and bigger. But another element here, which maybe is going to be brought to the forefront— is that this is yet another reason why the Federal Reserve ain't going to raise rates in September. You know, apart from the fact that the economy is not bouncing back as strongly as everybody had hoped. I mean, some of the data, some of the housing data in particular, did come back in the spring. I don't think it's going to last. I think that was a bounce related to the, the desire to get in quickly before rates rise. But I think a lot of the other economic data continues to be weak, like the Dallas Fed number that came out today. It was a little bit less weak than expected, but still the sixth consecutive negative months in a row. I mean, that has only happened in the past when we were in a recession. So, again, we continue to get recession-like numbers, despite the fact that the Fed is still optimistic. But remember, I've always said from the beginning that the Federal Reserve was looking for an excuse, something that it can blame not raising interest rates on, right? Hey, we were ready to raise interest rates, but then this thing happened and now we can't do it. Well, maybe the Greek situation will provide that excuse. Or maybe maybe it'll be the big sell-off in Chinese stocks. Remember, they, had a, they ran way up, and now they come back down. Maybe it'll be the volatility in China. Uh, maybe it'll be Puerto Rico. Or maybe it will be the spillover. See, if the Puerto Rican problem is spilling over into the Munibond problem, the last thing the Fed wants to do is exacerbate that problem by raising interest rates and putting even more downward pressure on those municipal bonds or on those municipalities, which also will have to deal with rising interest rates and higher debt costs as they need to sell more muni bonds. So another reason why the Fed uh, may not raise rates as if they were going to raise rates anyway, but maybe more people will figure this out, connect these dots, and start to see that they lead towards a non-rate hike. Or again, it gives the Federal Reserve a graceful uh, excuse Right. It doesn't have to say, well, it's, you know, the U.S. economy's fault. No, the U.S. economy is in great shape. It's just that we have these external problems, although, you know, Puerto Rico is not technically external. Right. And, and, and the, the, the fallout there, you know, on the muni bond market is not technically external. But, you know, who cares about technicalities? They can try to have their cake and eat it, too, by claiming, hey, the U.S. economy is in great shape. We'd love to raise rates, but the global economy is really weak. And so we're just going to hold off a little bit until things settle over internationally, because, you know, just in case there's some blowback over here to our otherwise healthy economy, we're just going to be extra cautious and just, you know, wait a little bit more uh, before before liftoff, right, before we pull the trigger and raise interest rates. You know, I think it's also important to point out that Puerto Rico wouldn't be in the problem it's in uh, were it not for the policies here in the United States particularly the policies of the Federal Reserve, but also the U.S. government making Puerto Rican debt even more attractive 
to both issuers, Puerto Rico, and buyers here in the U.S. with the triple tax exempt status. But when the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates down to zero, it created a rush for yield. Everybody was trying to get higher yield. And so people who might not ordinarily look towards Puerto Rico were looking there because it made the yields in Puerto Rico that much more attractive. And therefore, the paper was in much more demand. Everybody was trying to goose the yields on their portfolios. And so everybody wanted Puerto Rican debt, which I guess paradoxically helped encourage Puerto Rico to issue the debt that everybody wanted. This was the same situation that the Federal Reserve created in the subprime mortgage days because so many people wanted the higher yielding subprime mortgages. The banks were throwing their lending standards out, making them even subprimer in order to feed the voracious appetite around the world for higher yielding U.S. dollar denominated debt especially debt that was considered safe, even though it wasn't. Everybody thought mortgages were safe, even the subprime variety. Well, I think the same thing had to do with muni bonds. Everybody just assumed that all muni bonds are safe. They're not going to default. And so it caused people to look the other way with respect to Puerto Rico. You know, the same thing happened in Greece. I mean, Greece got into so much trouble because it was able to issue a lot of low-yielding debt because they were part of the eurozone. And people just assume, well, this isn't Greece anymore, it's Europe. And there's an implicit guarantee, just like there was uh, with Fannie and Freddie. And so because creditors just believed uh, that the debt was good, even though mathematically it couldn't be repaid, more and more people willing to loan money to Greece or loan money to Puerto Rico based on the perception that they were more creditworthy than they really were based on their associations in Greece's situation with the euro uh, and Germany and in this in the case of uh, Puerto Rico the United States and, and and so we we fed that bubble because we made Puerto Rican debt so desirable uh, on the part of Americans uh, there was no limit to how much they can issue, which is a, a politician's dream, right? They can go and promise something for nothing to get elected because they know they can borrow the money to pay for it. They don't have to raise taxes on their constituents. They can promise bigger pensions to government workers. They can promise more benefits uh, and not have to raise taxes to fund any of it. Just kick the can down the road. Well, for the Puerto Ricans and the Greeks, they ran out of road. But again, my point is we all run out of road. It's just that America has a longer road, but it isn't infinite. At some point, you reach the point where you can't go on anymore. At some point, uh, the bubble can't get any bigger and it just bursts. And, And my point, too, about Greece is that or no, about Puerto Rico is that it just may hit home. You know, people may just start to wake up. It's just another shoe that drops. Maybe Puerto Rico is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't know. But for me, that is a much bigger story for the U.S. markets and the dollar than Greece. Attention, listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. 
Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now, I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.